With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone, former England international Roland Butcher is back with me today to discuss the recent Ashes surrender down under. Thanks for joining me again, Roland. And to start with, you, you got it wrong. You said you said 3-0, it was 4-0 and it could have easily been 5-0. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not, I wouldn't want to say that I was right, but... Um, I always felt that this series was going to be a bridge too far for England. I don't think they had um, the sort of form and results going into an Ashes series um, in Australia uh, with injured players as well. So I always felt that Australia would have the upper hand. Uh, yes, my forecast was 3-0. It was looking good in that up to that last Test match because... Having been a, a Tasmanian player myself, I know that you know the rain can be can come at any time, and I, I figured that that last Test match would have some interruptions with rain. But the way England batted, as they did throughout the series, ensured that um, there was no need for rain, and, and obviously the result was four 0 at the end. And um, I think really it was deserved. Yeah, I mean, I think in Tasmania it was underwater a few days before a Test match, so you could have been you could have been right three nil and two draws. Yeah, I mean, um, as I said, you know, I have got some previous history in Tasmania, so I've got a, a pretty good idea as to how the weather operates in Tasmania. But as it turned out, you know, they didn't need five days, so um, it was done and done pretty quickly. Well, before expanding on three or four reasons why I think we lost the series to ask you about those those particular reasons. How did you feel as an ex-England player when you saw us lose nine wickets in in the last session? And, and I think in 18 overs, we were bowled out and lost 10 wickets for 56 runs. Yeah, I mean, that was really a, a bit of a, a gut wrench, so, so to speak, uh, Stephen. Um, 
you know, you got to 68 without loss. And, you know, you think you've really blunted the attack and it's a case of just building from there. But as you said, you know, when you lose all 10 wickets for 56 runs in the test match, uh, that really takes a bit of doing, takes a bit of beating. And I don't think any player or supporter connected with England could have been really happy with that performance. But I think what you would find is that supporters probably would have expected something of that nature because what they saw in the previous test matches suggested that something like that was always on the cards. Well, before expanding on our batting, their bowling and some of the decisions we made, should we always consider COVID as a as part of the reason or are professional sportsmen now having to cope with that and should have got used to that way of life? I would definitely not use COVID as an excuse and you shouldn't use it as an excuse because, you know, COVID is for everyone. So your opposition has to go through the same things that you go through in relation to COVID. So why is the opposition able to perform at such a level and you cannot perform at that level? So let's take the COVID out of the equation altogether. Lockdown was for everyone. Basically, I think it was more good cricket by Australia and poor cricket by England that ensured that the results were what they were. But do you think that lack of preparation, we only had the one inter-squad game which was rain-affected, the Australian players, several of them had played in the Sheffield Shield and done, had, had done well, did give them an advantage? Well, I mean, that's not Australia's fault. I mean, if you're, if you're going to Australia to play an Ashes series, which is, you know, it's going to be a very difficult series, even when you go there with a, a very strong side, it's still going to be difficult. You ensure that your preparation is up to scratch. Um, I am absolutely certain that, you know, England could have been in Australia a few weeks earlier and, and had whatever preparation they needed. So, you know, because they played just the one game, I find these days that teams in general, because of a very packed international schedule, arrive in um, a foreign country far too late. You know, there is no preparation one game preparation to play against Australia in Australia, really, you have no chance because you cannot get acclimatised. You, you don't get acclimatised in Australia's conditions in a week um, or, or, or two. It, it takes a long time. I, I mean, I know that firsthand. Uh, as I said, having played for Tasmania and I played a full season with Tasmania, I know exactly how long it really took me to acclimatise as an English player. Um, to conditions in Australia, you know, the bumps, et cetera, et cetera. So to believe that you could go to Australia, have X amount of nets and one game, and then believe that you're going to go in a test match and dominate a team in their backyard with a very fine ball and attack, um, and obviously batsmen who have had um, good shoe practice. You know, remember they had their big bash going on as well, so cricket was being played. To, to believe that with that sort of preparation, you were going to mount a serious challenge. It really leaves something to be desired because, I mean, whoever thought that up, um, I, I think really they're, they're in a the wrong space because even an outsider, somebody 
who's not involved with cricket could tell you that that was not the right thing to do. Well, it went wrong from the very first ball. We had Rory Burns out the first ball. In, inside 25 minutes, we were 11 for three at the Gabba. Bowled all, all out for one four seven. We only got one century in the whole series. No team score of over 300. Bowled out for 68 in Melbourne. Uh, we've talked about what happened in Hobart. Uh, not very pretty reading. Why were we so poor batting-wise? Well, before I get onto the batting, I, I would like to say that things went wrong before that first ball. You know, mistakes were made before that. You selected your first test squad. Um, two of your main bowlers in Anderson and Broad, who have who has over a thousand wickets between them at international level. You have got an inexperienced bowling attack in Australia, and you leave out both. You know, you had to play at least one of them in that. So the, the idea of waiting for uh, the pink ball was madness to, to, to the highest degree. So you put yourself on the back foot straight away. You've got a very inexperienced um, opening partnership, um, particularly in Australia. Uh, Burns, I think, is a pretty good player, but you know his success has been outside of Australia. So this is the first time for him. So he's, he's under pressure. Hamid has just come back into this team after a couple of games. And really, that's it. That you, those are your two openers. You, you, know, you had nowhere to go. So there's a shortage of openers in this squad to start with. Then you win the toss on a green pitch. First day of a test match. And you decide to bat when everything is telling you that you know, you have to start well in the test match. So you put the opposition in and try to bowl them out. But I guess because they've left out Anderson and Broad, they probably felt we have no choice really but to bat first. So really, that set the scene, Stephen, for what was going to happen. And as you said, that first ball to Burns, which normally, you know, he would clip that away past square leg for four. And most days, um, unfortunately, he missed it, lost his legs up, and really things went from bad to worse after that. And as you as you saw throughout the series, on, on that particular first day, England just couldn't recover. Now, and going back to the, the toss, do you think the history of 2002 when Nasser Hussain put Australia in at Brisbane was the reason why Joe Root didn't do it this year? Well, if that was a thinking, that 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 would be crazy because there's been a lot of water under the bridge since that time. Um, conditions change, um, teams change, players change on both sides. Um, why would that influence or why should that influence what you do with this particular side? I, I think sometimes captains and coaches and managers uh, operate too much in the past. You know, the past is there, obviously, for you to go back to. But the present is here all the time, you know, and that the here and now is very important. So the here and now tells me I'm looking at this surface. This surface looks bowler friendly. I'm not going to bat. Nothing to do with the history of what happened before. I have got a weekend opening partnership. 
I'm not going to expose my openers. I'm going to let the game settle down, let the pitch get better. Second, third day, when my my young openers get a chance to bat. I'm not going to put them straight out to the Australians fresh and ready to go on a green top. Um, huge mistake. And really, England won the bat for ever since. So generally, what were your thoughts on some of the individual batsmen in, in the England team? Well, when you look through the side, it's, it's very difficult to find a lot of positives um, throughout the series. You know, with a build-up that England had, which was just the one game, you know, the reason I said 3-0 was because I worked on the basis that England would not start to, you know, get their game together um, until after the third test. I mean, that, I, I figured that they would play their best cricket in the final two test matches when they've been in Australia now for some time, they've got some game time under their belts, their performances would improve in the last two test matches. So my prediction was three love uh, and England could probably get two draws at the back end of the tour. But you look at the batting and you're asking what sort of positives the baby in the batting. As I said, Burns, I, I think Burns, despite his idiosyncrasies and how he sets up, etc. I think too much is made of that. I think what is important with Burns is that Burns has a history of scoring runs, and there's not a lot of batsmen who has a history of scoring runs. Best thing he's could do with somebody like Burns right now. He makes runs. You don't top the county averages for five years in a row and score the amount of runs that he scored if you can't play. He's also shown at test level that he can play. Now, after a couple of um, bad scores, everybody's on his back about his technique and his moving and his head and this and that or whatever. So he's under tremendous pressure. And that probably was happening in the camp as well. Instead of just reinforcing to him, listen, you have made runs at this level, got off to a bad start, we are backing you. Instead of doing that, England dropped him after the second test match. The most, outside of your route, your most productive batsman in the last 12 months was Burns. As you know, Root has scored over 1,500 runs in that, in that period. And the next highest was Burns with 580-odd. And coming a third were extras. So if you're going to drop anyone, it, it cannot be your second highest score in the calendar year. It cannot be. So they panicked, dropped Burns in the second test after two test matches. Then brings Hamid into the, sorry, Hamid stayed in the team. And obviously he's under pressure now as well because he's knowing that any sort of failure, that he's going to go as well. And that's exactly what happened towards the end. But, you know, I thought they dropped Burns the wrong time. Hamid, I thought he played pretty well in the first test match. Um, he worked very hard, particularly on that first day when it was really tough. And for somebody so inexperienced at this level, I, I, I thought he fought it out well. And I was hoping that he would build on that and move forward um, in the series. I thought David, David Milan showed uh, that he's got something there. Um, you know, he played a couple of very good innings, particularly that one innings with Rupert when they both got 80s. 
Um, and obviously, Root, Ian, he got some scores, but no big scores um, that you would have hoped that he would be able to, to get. And, and really, as you saw in the last 12 months, really, England have been relying too much, really, on Joe Root. Without Joe Root's contribution over the last 12 months, um, England would have had um, some pretty bad results. So he, he, he was able to do it all that time. And at some stage, you will fail. You can't do it all the time. So, you know, he was not as productive as he could be. So you're um, still, so you still think that Burns uh, has a future playing, opening the batting for England. I mean, he he averages I, only only early thirties, but you you still think they're they're going too hard on him because of his technique. I think so. Yeah, I I, I think they're going too hard, too too hard on him because of his technique. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, cricket is about scoring runs. It's not about how you look. You know. I mean, if a guy looks fantastic and gets 30, or a guy looks terrible and gets 100, I, I, am, I know which one I want. Um, but people are playing too much on his technique. And I guess after a while, you know, it, it probably got to him as well. And he starts to think about it instead of concentrating on what he's supposed to be doing, you know, with each ball and making runs. You know, he's probably thinking, you know, what's people, what's people saying about me, what they're thinking about me. And, and loses his focus. But I think he still has a role to play. I, I would trust him with it, sure. Um, I don't have a lot of other options, really, um, around England to take over from him. What did you um, think of Crawley, though, in the last uh, test when he came in? I thought he played quite well, but again, the, the pressure was off. I mean, would he have played like that if he started the series? You know, so really he, you know, he had nothing to lose. You know, you're, you're down already. And, you know, he played okay. You know, you need to see Crawley really when the pressure's on, which is like from the first test match. So, you know, he, he's, he showed a promise. That's what it is right now. It's promised, um, not the finished article. And he's got work to do. Now, Ben Stokes, you know, as we discussed earlier, rushed into this series because England realised the middle order was very brittle. And they needed um, Ben Stokes at his best to give them a chance. And because of the lack of cricket Ben Stokes have had in the last six months against the top team in the world, um, you know, he was always going to struggle. And, you know, he did just that with the bat. He didn't really get uh, a great amount of runs. Big disappointment, I think, was Butler. But at the same time, I would say Butler was used uh, incorrectly. Butler, we know, is an aggressive player. Um, I know the jury's out whether he's a test cricketer, and there's a lot of talk around the world, and in England in particular, whether he's a test player or not. But I would say for this particular tour, with England's weak combatant lineup, Butler was used poorly because every innings Butler played, he was batting with a tail in a lost cause. Right. One of those innings, he was able to pace, what, 250 balls or whatever, a 20-odd not out. Right. That, that, that's not the innings I want Butler to play. In this series, I would have batted Butler higher and given him license to play his game because somebody had to take the attack to their experience. Because if you look down the batting lineup, there was nobody there who was going to take it to the, to the Australians. Burns wasn't going to take it to them. 
Amir wasn't going to take it to them. Milan to some degree, but he's still fairly new. Ben Stokes would, but he's obviously not fully fit. So Root is not going to take it to them. He's going to bat long. So who is your next man to? Because somebody must attack Australia. They must. Now, for me, I would have sent him in earlier to just to do just that. You know, put a bit of pressure back on Australia. At the end of it, he had a poor tour. Everybody would criticize him. He cannot play at this level. But again, I thought management managed him very poorly for this particular series. I'm not saying that you should bat high in every series, but this series in particular, if you don't push back at Australia with a bowling lineup they have, they're going to build pressure. They're going to crucify you. And you're going to end up with your most dominant batsman battling for survival's survival with a tail. How, how are you going to win a test match like that? So you're struggling there. Your spin option, really, I think Leach in Australia is a very average bowler in Australia. Very average. And really, you know, he got he, he, they took him apart early on um, in, in that first test match, which meant he didn't settle. And really, he was never, ever going to bowl. He's, he, was, he was always going to struggle. Now, the history of Australia is that Australians generally don't play good off-spin bowling well. They don't. And that's the history of their cricket. That is why the likes of Swan and others would have good success against Australia in Australia. Well, they had a lot of left-handers as well in this yeah. tour. Yeah. Right. But off-spin bowlers gives Australian batsmen, good ones, trouble both left and right-handed batsmen. So a leech as an option on greenish pitches, really, you were playing with 10 men. In effect, you were playing with 10 men. And then, really, when you look at the, the tail, you know, you, you're, you're not going to get any runs at all from the tail. Um, when you look at, you look at Wood, you started with Robinson, and then later on, when you got Broad and Anderson, you're going to struggle. So once Butler has to bat with them, he cannot be as carefree as he would like to be. All he can do is just try to survive. So I think England got so many things wrong um, on this series that it was the nightmare, really, that all of us thought would happen, but they could have helped their cause if they had made better decisions in team selection and also how they shuffled the, the bowling and, and, the, and the batting around. And the Australian bowling attack, it, it's a very strong attack, though. Absolutely. Australia, you know, they've got a very good bowling attack. Or, you know, different. I mean, you've got Mr. Stark, who's going to be fast. You know, if it swings, um, you know, he's a handful. You've got Pat Cummins. You know, number one bowler in the world for a reason. I mean, top bowler. I mean, Josh Hazelwood. I would put Josh Hazelwood right alongside um, Cummins as, as, as a bowler. And then, obviously, the guys that came in, you know, don't forget people like Richardson. You know, Richardson came in and picked up five wickets before he, he got injured. And then, Boland. And obviously... You know, highly rated Cameron Green, um, who's I think would be, you know, he's going to be a very good all-around cricketer. Um, 
got good pace, um, can bat. Um, so just the right sort of all rounder that Australia need right now because you can't say that he's a bowling all rounder or batting all rounder. I would say he's a genuine all rounder. Um, so that's a good find for them. And then obviously, you know, you've got Kiri coming down the, the order there, batsman, head who has been in good form. And obviously, Lavashan, who's, you know, number one batsman in the world. So Australia were able to win this without their best player, Steve Smith, and Warner having to do a great deal. You talked about some of the decisions that we made. Uh, what did you think to using Ben Stokes as the enforcer when um, he'd only played one county championship match in 2021 and, you know, he, and he was soon injured again, really? Well, it came down to the point where they had no option because having made those choices about selection, um, you then handicap the team. And then really to then ask Ben Stokes, who has been injured and has had no cricket, to perform that role of being the enforcer was going to take a lot out of him, physically and mentally. And it also ran the risk of him being injured again. And for me, in this particular series and this particular England side, Ben Stokes' value as a batsman was more important for me to the team than his bowling because the batting is very weak. Ben Stokes has scored big hundreds in test match cricket against good opposition under pressure in the past. Uh, so again, that was another mistake to ask him to do that type of role. And as you said, look, he ended up getting injured and that handicapped the team even further. And as for bright spots for England, Mark Wood got 17 wickets. In fact, bowled more overs I looked up than anyone else. Well, Mark Wood, as we know, is he's fast. He's, I think he's an honest, hard-working guy. He's, what you see is what you get. He's a guy that puts in 100% every ball. And, you know, sometimes the radar is off. But he was pretty much operating on his own. And that would have um, not helped his cause as well. He, you know, he troubled the Australians, but... Because he was on his own, it meant that, you know, he had to bowl in short spells. The other bowlers, albeit they're good bowlers, but not that sort of pace. And you needed that type of pace in Australia. I think Joffa Archer not making the tour was a huge loss to the England bowling strength because you could have then attacked with him and Mark Wood or one of them at a time and, and replace the you know, keep it tight at one end, attack the other end, and then Mark Wood can come off after six overs or so and Archer comes back. You could have, you had those options, but the role that Mark Wood, Mark Wood had to play this time round because of that was one that, you know, it was going to be difficult for him with the pace attack that England had. But Broad, Anderson and Robinson did reasonably well, but you think we need more pace in, in Australia particularly? You do. You know, Australia, you know, Australia, the ball, there's a way to bowl in Australia. It is not out and out short. I think you've got to keep the ball up to the back. 
you know, because, you know, batsmen are looking for the short ball. So, you know, you can get success if you keep the ball up to the bat. Mark Wood, you know, when he pitched the ball up, because he doesn't swing the ball much, if any, if any at all, um, you know, he was driven. So then he was he had to revert back to bowling short. And as you know, if you're bowling short, then your spells will get shorter because it takes a lot of energy out of you to be banging each ball into the turf. Um, but if you look at the England attack, in as you said, Robinson, Broad, and Anderson, they're all very similar in terms of just bowling back of a length. Um, you know, Anderson will try and swing it. Uh, early on, if he doesn't get success, he just pulls the length back a bit, go for, for control. Um, so most most of those bowlers are control bowlers. They're not going to hurry the Australian batsmen up. They're not going to scare them. They're not going to make them play shots that they don't want to play. But Mark Wood, pace, and Joe Archer's pace will make them play those sort of shots. So you know, England's bowling attack was pretty much semi-semi, and it made it quite easy for, for Australia, who really, as I said, Australia's big players, big batters, didn't have to do a great deal. No, Steve Smith didn't get 100 in the whole series. David Warner sort of tailed off after two early 90s. But if a batting side, in England's case, can't score a 300 uh, team innings, you are going to lose heavily. In a test match, for sure. Um, you know, it's you know, less than 300 in a test match in Australia. You get bowled out on the first day. You know, it's virtually game over. And all credit to Australia. The, the players who came into the side, whether they were bowlers or batsmen, for whatever reason, put their hands up. You saw Head got a very good hand. 150, um, which would have given him a lot of confidence and cement him into the side. Um, we talked about the bowlers um, in Richardson and, and Boland coming in and doing a very good job. But then you can't forget that Kawaja got the chance to come in in the middle order and he scored 200s so in the same game. So all the players that Australia introduced had an impact in the games that they played and um, ensured really that the big players, as we said, in Warner and Smith, didn't really have to be at their best. In part two with Roland, what next for England, he gave his thoughts on the England team, captaincy, coaching setup, and the white and red ball tours of the Caribbean. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at The Pad and Pad. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.